Welcome to Prospecting Purpose, where we explore mining's role in shaping a sustainable, socially just, and brighter future. I'm Liz Friel, your host for the series, with a rotating guest on every episode. Have you noticed all the chatter about the term impact investing lately? Are you confused about what exactly it is? Or maybe you assume it's just another synonym for ESG. Wonder how it differs from other types of investment? And what it's going to mean for the mining industry? Well, that's exactly what we're going to focus on today. Joining me as my co-host for this episode, we have Andrew Cheadle, a seasoned CEO and director in the industry whose 30-plus year international career has encompassed both the major and junior mining sectors. He's also particularly passionate about the mining industry's role in community impact and sustainable development. Welcome, Andrew. Oh, hi, Liz, and greetings from London, uh, England. Lovely to have you on the show. So, Andrew, I've got to ask you, what first actually drew you to the mining industry? I grew up in a household where my parents were adventurers, and my father in particular had traveled throughout Africa on an old Triumph motorbike in the 1950s, all the way up into Central Africa, everywhere. So we'd always had this sense of adventure in, in the house growing up, which included, by the way, my, my mum on the back of that motorbike sometimes. So we, we grew up with that. And we also grew up in a household where we were often out in the mountains, out in the hills. Um, I could read a map, for example, as soon as I could read a book. So when the opportunity came at... Uh, at school to um, take uh, geology, which was a new subject at the time. It just was so very natural to combine my love of the outdoors, my love of travel, my curiosity of uh, places, people, culture. So it sort of enabled, uh, it sort of brought together all of that. And, you know, from there to university and then into work, it sort of led me to, to mining. So I could also do the other things that I particularly enjoyed, which is travel, which is culture, uh, different people, different place. So that's ultimately where it came from, a, a great sense of curiosity of, of the world. So this isn't the first time you've been asked to chat about impact investing. In fact, you wrote a Northern Miner article last summer on this topic, wherein you called out the mutual avoidance between mining and impact investing, even suggesting, quite rightfully, a state of real mistrust and misunderstanding between the two. And realistically, from the broader public's perspective, a lot of mining's impact is not positive. Well, I assume this has been brewing for you as an interest area for some time. What's spread the interest? Um, There's a fabulous question. It's actually been very long uh, seated with myself, uh, having spent my early part of my career working in Africa. And I could really see the the impact uh, that mining could have on, on communities, both negative and positive. I think if you look at the positive side of things, we can really make a, a massive difference to build local community and to help develop nation. But of course, we come with a, an industry that does have a legacy, some would say, and I would also largely agree, perhaps deserving of the reputation that we've had from some decades past. But I would certainly say that our industry today is absolutely not the industry of even 10, 15, 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and you're not alone in, in developing this interest. I mean, I've seen a lot of webinars and articles lately wading into this topic. And I think because ESG pressures are really beginning to affect capital decisions, so naturally they're really beginning to affect the way business operates as well, even more since COVID-19. But I have the impression that there's still a lot of confusion when we talk specifically about impact investing. I think there's still a lot of confusion in industry about a variety of terms related. So I thought we might start with exploring an overview of the impact investing spectrum for a minute. So on the far left, we have traditional investing, 
purely driven by competitive returns. Then we move towards responsible investment. We see values-based negative screening. Next, taking an integration approach where we actively screen for opportunities to have positive ESG impacts. Then we move into the impact investing realm. So first with certain environmental and social issues being seen as commercial growth opportunities without losing focus on market rate returns. And then with particular environmental and social issue areas being the main focus, sometimes entailing financial trade-offs for the sake of that impact. Then finally moving into the totally impact-driven investment where we find things like social enterprises uh, where profit isn't specifically a driver. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on what the different parts of this spectrum might feel like for our industry, especially as this move from left to right is starting to mainstream as we speak. And mining certainly has impact-oriented finance examples like the International Finance Corporation. Uh, but where do you think most mining investments these days sit on this spectrum? So a lot of our industry has moved away from the left. I, I think you know, when I go to a lot of the conferences and, and I sit at investment forum, there is never a presentation that does not include some component of what the companies are doing in terms of their ASG components or CSR. That's very clearly there. I think the industry is also very well aware that the license to operate is granted at a, a local level. And without that license to operate, of course, there's no project. The investors also want to be investing in projects that are not going to create headlines or negative headlines, I should say. There's an alignment at this point between large investment funds, mining executives, and operators on the ground. But it's very much from a viewpoint of, you know, we should do this, we need to do that. It, it makes sense to obviously work with the local community, have as large a local indigenous content as possible. Obviously, nobody goes out to have tailings disasters or unnecessary chemical spills or unsafe working conditions. But I think we go beyond that. I think we also now look at local procurement. We're also looking at building our relationships between company and community, but also government, both at local and national levels, particularly when we're, we're working internationally, where uh, some individual minds can be tens of percents of a national GDP. So there's very real impacts if you were, say, for example, to take Mongolia, a really good example. So I think we're on the left. I think we've moved away and we're beginning to understand that middle ground a little bit. Now, there are some companies that, uh, of course, are financed by such groups as the IFC. And we've talked before, and I've had the privilege of being an IFC client uh, with a project that, uh, that we had in the Dominican Republic called Unigold. And with that, and it, was, and it was interesting because also it's a junior company, not a major company. But even at that stage, the impact that can be had locally is quite profound. And it's just a way of looking at about how you go about your business. Yeah, absolutely. If we go continue to, to go to the right on the, on the chart there, I think the great concern for many mining companies is please don't make my company an NGO. Right? We are here. <laughs> yeah, right? Right? totally. We, we, are, we are here, of course, to make a decent profit. And, and that applies to everybody, right? whether it's you and I in our pension funds or people doing day trading, personal portfolios. Uh, and, of course, governments want the mining operations to make profits, uh, obviously, whether it's in terms of royalties or, or taxes uh, that help build local infrastructures. And that applies obviously to everywhere in the world. It doesn't have to be necessarily Africa or South America. It can be Canada too. You know, we had some conversations uh, recently with a CEO who has a project uh, in Idaho. The impact locally on employment could be quite profound. So there's 
strong interest there. So I think we need to understand we're not just talking about uh, different parts of the world, those that are more developed or less developed. It can apply everywhere. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're, so we're mostly on the left. Where do you think the sweet spot is? Like, where would you like to see most investment for our industry coming from? I, I think we're sort of left of center at the moment. Um, not, not on the extreme left. I think there's very, very few investments that are made just purely on a financial basis only because the funds themselves are now insisting on ESG standards being applied and, and want to see whether it's diversity at board levels or uh, at a corporate level or local procurement or once again back to the license to operate at a local level. So it's very much about risk management in many respects as opposed to going the other way. For example, an example would be Anglo-American where their purpose now is phrased as uh, reimagining mining for the benefit of society. Yeah, that doesn't sound so far on the left on the spectrum. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, uh, and I think more and more people are becoming aware. When I sort of talk with a number of other CEOs and, and operators, there is a growing sense of, I'd actually use the word pride and acceptance that, hey, it's okay that we can run mining operations and do a lot of good as we do it. Iron Gold would be another good example with the solar panel fields in Burkina Faso, a country you're very familiar with. So, and, and those uh, solar farms are going to be bequeathed to the nation upon completion of mining. Yet even at this point in time, they're having a massive impact in, in terms of, again, local staffing, in terms of maintenance uh, of them, but also in the reduction of carbon emissions. There's less trucks traveling across two countries over several days, bringing in all the bunker fuel right, for the, for the diesel generators. Mm -hmm. Especially in a country like that. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so there's all those added on benefits there as well. You know, this would obviously take us to another conversation in terms of meeting the goals of the SDGs, which now brings us further and further to the right. And as we do that, we start to, I believe, become more appealing and have access to a totally new set of investors that I am not aware of any, specifically impact investors I'm referring to, that are specifically investing in mining at this time. Yeah, I don't think it's a thing yet. But that's exactly what makes it such an interesting conversation. I mean, the reality is the upcoming intergenerational wealth transfer is such that we're going to see an enormous amount of capital move from the far left towards the right at a really rapid pace. This is going to fundamentally change priorities associated with investment decisions. Uh, over the next decade, I've read that about $9 trillion is expected to pass to younger generations, millennials and soon Gen Z, that invest way more based on their social and their environmental values. And BlackRock's done a lot of research on this already. So we're going to witness this tectonic shift towards sustainability and social impact and investment decisions with the next generation. And I think we do need to consider what this means for the mining industry, because most young people are not into mining. They don't see our industry as sustainable, impactful, trustworthy. And I think we're counting on the fact as an industry that you know, a lot of critical minerals, for example, will be needed to transition away from fossil fuels. But I worry that's not enough of an appeal. And I wonder, you know, for the impact investors of tomorrow, say those who are focused on reducing carbon emissions, will they consider investing in this industry given our legacy issues, the environmental and social incidents that do still crop up and the ongoing low transparency levels that lead to a lot of distress from many different parts of the public? Yeah, there's again some more really salient points. So in my conversations with impact investors, the word transparency keeps on coming up to many of of the population uh, generally, but also specifically with impact investors, ours is an industry that is not well understood. 
in the most important thing, of course, if we want to build trust, at some point we have to talk with each other. I would su suggest that, as you rightly point out, that investments are more and more looking to the right side of your diagram there. Uh, people are becoming more and more aware of the broader social impact of, of their investments. So we have to also show that we merit and warrant their investment. I, I think we're doing a lot to get there. I, I think we're doing more and more in terms of demonstrating that we have moved long and far away from the legacy that, uh, that you refer to. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And do you think we're ready for that added layer of scrutiny that's, that's coming down the line? I think we're getting there, actually. Um, you know, I mentioned the IFC and, and what, it, what, what is involved in uh, receiving impact investment. You know, and, and some of it is really, really exciting. Um, you know, there's obviously a lot of reporting with that. I think, I think a lot of people are afraid of the additional reporting, is one comment I often hear. Mm -hmm. But again, you know, if, if you to use an example, you mentioned Rio Tinto earlier, you, know, you, you have whole teams of people to, to work on that. If you're a junior mining company, you don't obviously have those whole teams, but it can be part of the responsibilities of people that are on the ground, and everything is fitted for a different size. So obviously a report of a small project, as ours was in the Dominican Republic, we're not reporting to the same level of detail or volume. I think that's the case, it's not the same level of volume as uh, Rio Tinto. But report we obviously had to do, and, and we were audited, and IFC uh, experts came to, to site. And what we particularly found, and what it's like to have an impact investor uh, as an investor, is that you really can transform and help communities where you are. Now, we were an exploration project going, looking at some mine development. Let me just give you a, a, an example. Hist historically, the company had imported core trays, several hundred thousand dollars of plastic core trays from Canada every year, along with all the headaches of customs both at Canada and Miami and in the Dominican Republic to sort of bring them into country. But what we also observed, and this came out in terms of our stakeholder mapping, that there were local forestries, local wood mills. For those that are uh, perhaps a little bit older like myself, I mean, the core trays used to always be made out of wood. And uh, so we worked with uh, some of the local artisans and said, hey, can you guys make these core trays um, just to put the core in? And, and the answer was yes, of course. And therefore we transferred um, money uh, in terms of purchase requirements, adhering to standards that, that were required, and started making a, a core trade-making business in the local community. That wealth spread, or we, we hired extensively locals and had 100% Dominican drilling crews. Yes, they were, they were trained by Canadians, but ultimately they became 100% local. That's a fantastic story. I love it. I think a lot of companies are not all that focused on these kinds of outcomes and the systems impact. And you talk about the wealth spreading through the community. Most of us are still just slapping SDG icons onto our sustainability reports and we're disclosing inputs and outputs, but not going that next level to really understand impact. And of course, that doesn't mean no good is happening. I've heard you on more than one occasion talk about the good work that so many mining companies are doing when it comes to contributing to community development. And I've seen and lived those stories as well. It's why I'm passionate about the potential of this industry. But broadly, I feel like we still aren't very good at quantifying our positive contributions and, and, and the impact of our storytelling is limited because of that. And I, I find that funny because it's not that we don't know how to measure things. There are so many things that we're good at, at measuring in this industry. And I wonder if it's not 
an opportunity to leverage that existing skill set to, to fill this gap. And maybe maybe it's easier than we think. I think it comes down to communication and just being open about it. It might sound strange, but I think sometimes uh, people are a little shy and nervous to talk about uh, the, the positive impacts they're having everywhere. But we, we shouldn't, as an industry, we, we shouldn't be. I, I don't think we need to be necessarily boastful, but I, I think we do need to make sure that we are fully and openly telling society and showing society what we do. The World Gold Council recently put out an article on that uh, side of things as well. A long list of the, some of the amazing projects around the world that people are doing. It's just things like, for example, Endeavor. The, the amount of local general managers they have at their minds is, is fantastic. And it's all been grown locally. Uh, Golden Star, another company which uh, commented that during these COVID times, uh, because they have such a strong local team, which they've spent a lot of time developing, their operations have uh, largely gone uninterrupted. Historically, you know, we sort of use that phrase, uninterrupted. We always think, oh, you know, the same amount of ounces or tons. But we must also remember the whole ecosystem around the mine, whether it's obviously money into local suppliers, support of local hospitals, provision of uh, fresh water. Again, another example of a project given was the um, impacting over hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, but again, back to I'm God, actually, with their water projects in the Sahel. But even that works on the local scale. I've recently bought, uh, joined the board of uh, Tanzania Gold Corporation. You know, just some of my initial discussions were prior to going to site is that at, at the Buck Reef project, we have brought in fresh water. It's quite clear locally that fresh, drinkable, potable water is a key issue and desire of the local community. And of course, we can help with such things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, awesome but, story. Yeah. yeah. And very impactful, absolutely. I do think that we still are very challenged to understand and quantify impact. And again, that's part of, I think, why the storytelling is is limited um, and also why there's still a lot of impact washing. And, and that's not just our industry in general, in the corporate world. We do still struggle with impact washing. And, and that certainly contributes to the difficulties in, in having trust between the general public and, and industry. I think on the investor side as well, we're also still not very good at, at measuring impact. Like we are learning and growing together and we are searching for this common ground. But one thing I'm noticing is very exciting is that this is changing quickly. So I've seen a couple of neat initiatives emerge lately. The Value Balancing Alliance, for example, there's a ton of automotive companies already part of that. Uh, Harvard did this impact-weighted accounts initiative program as well. So they're quantifying environmental and social performance, both positive and negative, in dollar terms. And interestingly, focusing on the negative side for a moment, the work by Harvard showed that 15% of the companies they analyze would have their profits completely wiped out just by taking into account environmental footprint, which I found shocking. And now we have, um, so in late 2020, the IFRS Foundation, they proposed the creation of this sustainability standards board. These kinds of data points I feel like shows we are moving towards that common understanding, that common ground by both quantifying our impact and standardizing the way we measure it. Whether again, we're talking about positive or negative impacts, we're merging sustainability performance with financial performance. And I believe that ultimately this is gonna redefine success. So when this change goes mainstream, do you see us having any challenges with this? And what what will be the low hanging fruit? I don't think there there should be any challenges with that. We already see, for example, women in mining groups clearly demonstrating that diverse, uh, diverse boards, diverse teams perform better. And that doesn't uh, apply just to mining. That applies globally. 
more diverse opinions, more ways of looking at solving a problem or creating value. And because uh, that's an easy one to, to look at. I, I think also, particularly with water, uh, is an easy uh, low-hanging fruit to make sure that we uh, don't pollute and continue to not pollute. I, I, I think also low-hanging fruit is fair pay and wages. I think uh, so that, that, that addresses the alleviation of poverty. That's also a, a low-hanging fruit. And we've talked about carbon emissions, so we could sort of uh, go back to Canada, for example, Newmont with the development of the Borden uh, project, the Borden mine, designed from the ground up as an electrical project, obviously using hydropower, because of course if you're electrical and attached to a coal-fired power station, you're not really uh, <laughs> <laughs> reducing your carbon emissions, but of course it's all tied into the uh, fabulous hydroelectrical uh, power systems in Canada. So people are already sort of beginning to sort of pick up uh, that sort of low-hanging fruit. Yeah, yeah. You make me think of a couple other really good examples here in Canada. Uh, Canada Nickel, they're doing net zero nickel, right? And then uh, Nouveau Monde, the graphite company, same thing, trying to be net zero. I see companies like that who are building this into their strategy and their their project design from such an early stage as absolutely acing those new those new ways of measuring performance. Yeah, that's one way of measuring it. I, I, just a little bit more than that. I think it's going to be a lot more than just the the dollars. This is crucially important, of course, in terms of investors. And again, I come back to the point again, is we're not talking about trying to destroy profits, trying to enhance profits, right? which benefits everybody. But you know, we don't want to do it at the expense of polluting water or impacting people's human rights or, um, you know, obviously... Our mining companies don't employ child labor, but we're well aware that in the artisanal side of things, that uh, children are employed. So where we are working close to uh, artisanal miners, and again, this is uh, an area where you and I first met, right, is that we, we can say, yes, the artisanal miners, you can come work on our property, but no, you can't have children. Right? So we can, again, continue to positively uh, impact there. We are seeing also increasingly uh, consumers an increasingly of all generations saying, I don't want to know that I have, and I don't want to see that I have child labor in my phone. I don't want to see it in my car. I don't want to see child labor uh, being associated with the metallic paint that's on my car. A lot of my car comes from uh, artisanal mining. So th there's, there's um, I should also say, uh, to, to some of the listeners know, the metallic look in the, in the uh, metallic paint is from mica. So, um, you know, we're seeing greater and greater societal and, and consumer awareness that, again, pushes back through investors, pushes back through media um, mm -hmm. to those of us who are exploring and developing minds. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what about the role of certifications in understanding our impact? Because, of course, your average consumer, your average investor can't necessarily go and check out every aspect of every asset that they're considering, uh, including in their portfolio. I wonder if certifications could be could be something interesting to, to bring into the conversation around seeking impact investors. So uh, as an example, we've got national certifications in certain places. So I read recently about China's green mine and national certification. So in that country, you can actually be certified as a green mine. 
Uh, or another example that maybe more people are more uh, familiar with would be IRMA, the Initiative for Responsible Mining Insurance. Definitely has the highest requirements that I know of. And this standard comes closest to really providing a comprehensive standard covering every societal and environmental indicator relevant to our industry. With certifications like that emerging, can you see perhaps an impact investor saying, oh, okay, if they're aligned with IRMA, we will consider them? I think very much that that will go that way, or the the Canadian uh, Mining Association of Canada's Towards Sustainable uh, Mining sign-off, the TSM. There's a lot of them out there, and I think these will continue to converge. Um, As you rightly said, IRMA is by far one of the most detailed, but there's also other ones out there, uh, Liz. You know, just give a shout out to to my colleagues at uh, Troilus uh, Gold in Quebec, where I'm a, a director there. You know, the, the company has just received uh, an eco logo uh, certification from uh, Quebec, and, and the whole that's team, a big deal for a mine, right? Everyone is like so proud of that, right? I mean, let's let's do these things in a very proactive way as opposed to retroactive. So yeah, it's, it's a big deal. But you know, here's an example of a company that has chosen to go ahead and do that. And it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. So going back to the investment spectrum that we went over earlier, it, it's really about unleashing the power of capital for good. Yeah. What do you think are the biggest challenges for your average mining company to attract that investment that is focused on going beyond zero harm and negative screening to truly get into that impact realm? Like what needs to change either for industry or, or finance? Let me just back that up a little bit. Right, and see if, if I got the numbers right. It's around about 2014. There was in the order of you know, several tens of billions of dollars available in impact investing. Now that is up to nearly a trillion. Right, by some estimates, two trillion dollars of direct impact investing that's going at the moment into forestry, microfinance, various food products, textiles. It's not even a category for the people that measure these things for minerals and resources. By some estimates, and you alluded to it as well, that as uh, money shifts generations, that pool of capital is expected by some estimates to grow into an excess of $20 trillion under management. It's very, very significant. And of course, we need investments ourselves. I would think that we would like to be attractive to such a large body of capital. So that's what's happening that way. How do we bridge that gap? Well, we have to have conversations like this. We have to talk with people who are impact investors and say, well, what's the gap? Please come and have a look at us. You know, several companies, again, that I know have started to toy with the idea of, well, perhaps we should just test the waters a little bit and, and, and go to some impact investment uh, uh, events and, and see how that is. And, and how, how are mining companies received going to those investments? Well, they're saying they're thinking about going. They haven't, uh, not aware of any that have gone yet, <laughs> right? But even just talking about it, thinking about it, researching, well, who are these people that, that are making the impact investors? How do we connect with them? That, that's the first step, right? And then once again, we have to talk with each other and, and demonstrate um, that it is a sound investment. And of course, the difficulty again then is, do you invest in a company? Do you invest in a whole industry? Or... Uh, do you want to get involved in a specific project around a mine? So we're talking a lot about impact investing in mining, but what about other possibilities that we could connect the industry to impact investing with by thinking around mining, maybe not directly in the mineral resource development itself, 
but say, for example, local suppliers, you look at the work of Mining Shared Value and other initiatives like that, we know the value of local procurement. If you're talking about really having a sustainable local impact or partnerships in, in community investment beyond philanthropy, you look at initiatives like impact catalysts that um, Anglo is involved in, in, in Limpopo, where you bring together a public-private partnership that has a long-term vision, regardless of the life of mine. I wonder if with these kinds of models, we could think about attracting or bringing in impact investing models. Yeah, but as you, you, you touch on the, the Limpopo and Anglo-American there, of course, takes us down uh, the conversation route of the Development Partner Institute. That uh, overall concept um, that when we have our minds and operations, that we are in partnership with community and with government and minds and the people when we work on the trusts involved in that, when all three participants uh, work together, it really can be transformative for all three company, community, and, and, and nation again. So it can make a very big difference. Let's just think of some uh, some examples um, around that. You know, obviously, obviously, a mining operation can help to seed and develop local business. And I'd like to come back into some some of my experiences in. Uh, northern Canada, where at the time Placidome, then Gold Corp, now Newmont, had been involved uh, in the Muswhite Mine, where we helped to set up, fund, and partner in the development of uh, Wasser Airways. So was, this is with the local First Nation communities, and, and to help build an airline that could operate in, in the uh, northern parts of Ontario very, very successfully. But of course, a large part of that success was due to the fact that they were the chosen partner to fly and fly out workers to the mine and from that leverage off elsewhere. So again, uh, perhaps a, another example, similarly with a catering camp management group from there, Windigo Catering, now working on the, and seeking work uh, outside of just their immediate home base at Windigo. So there's a lot that can be done. This, this goes back to the 1990s, early 2000s, when these, uh, these programs were put in place. Having flown with Sarah many times, I can tell you they're very safe, very comfortable and operate as any airline you would expect to, to operate. So there's no drop in standards or anything like that. It's possible to really make a big impact with businesses, growth of businesses outside of the mine. Another example, one that I particularly thought was very, very clever in West Africa, there's a, a Bonacro mine uh, where they had worked with the local women's cooperatives in building um, rice, uh, rice fields. And through several iterations and everyone's admission didn't get it right to start off with, the whole group moved towards commercial production of, of rice. It turns out the biggest impact, not just from the fiscal side of things, but also supply chain and access to market tend to be tend out to be some of the key issues facing this group to make it successful. So an impact investor, so you can take say a project like that or an airways or a catering company or Trucking company would be another obvious one that could be set up, or increasingly we're seeing diamond drilling companies being uh, invested in and set up uh, with communities around mines. Impact investors could sort of partner with the mines, with the head offices, on commercial ventures that are associated with and, and supply the operation. But at the same time, then they're also available to go and um, develop markets elsewhere at the same time to grow their businesses. And you, and you raise a very important point in your introduction to this question is this isn't charity this is business and to to steal your phrase this is conscientious capitalism so it's a very positive impact while at the same time going about 
very, very good business. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's no end of opportunities, that's for sure. So I've got a creative question for you. If you were an impact investor and you had an unlimited budget to invest in a single initiative linked to the industry, where and in what would you invest and why? I was, I was doing some work with the, um, uh, with, with the IFC World Bank in, in Ghana. And just by pure chance, I happened to be also taking the opportunity to do some tourism in a suburb of uh, Accra called Jamestown, which is just an extraordinary experience. I happened to be the Jamestown bar and got talking and introduced to a mining entrepreneur, a forest, uh, someone who ran a forest plantation, what he wanted to do. And he was seeking investors to make activated carbon. At the moment, a lot of the activated carbon for the gold extraction processes in West Africa are imported into the region. So he has coconut plantations and wanted to figure out and wanted to have a conversation about how do I make activated carbon and how do I locally source and provide activated carbon into the local markets into Africa. That's fantastic. So I don't have the money <laughs> that you've just given me. Um, so I would love to follow actually that one. I would like to really follow through. And of course, it'd be great to be able to do that. That's a great one. Thanks. <laughs> and what, what would you want impact investors to know who've never considered this industry before? What would you want to say to impact investors to maybe persuade them to give this industry a chance? Liz, actually, I also have the, the pleasure of talking with some impact investors uh, here in London. What I always like to say is, please take a fresh look at what we are doing these days. Our industry is absolutely not the industry that you imagine um, from the movies, from the 70s or the 50s or even the 90s. Um, we are, in fact, quite a progressive industry nowadays, of course, very safe, environmentally sound. But your mandate as an impact investor is to make real impact on the ground where it matters. And there are a few industries like uh, mining that can do that and to have such a big impact in the societies and the communities and the nations where they operate. So please come and have a look at what we do. And when you think about the future of the mining industry and the, the growing importance of, of these impact investors, what are you most afraid of and what are you most excited about? Let's just stay with the most excited side of it. What are we most excited about at this point? I, I think there is this growing awareness that we really can make a difference, and that drives a purpose over and above just avarice or making a profit. I think it brings a lot of richness to people's lives and livelihoods. I, I think if we're not careful on the, on the negative side of things, we're not going to grasp the importance that the circular economy has and where that is going. I think uh, society is changing. We're already seeing massive amounts of recycling. But of course, when it comes to battery metals, we've got to provide new supply into that. But you know, none of us are afraid to recycle. But if we can imagine recycling done on a massive scale, we recycle everything, so to speak, our industry will be facing consumer competition, user competition with the recycling industry. To do that, we have to make sure that our credentials, our certifications, as you talked about it earlier, are in place because it's not just going to be a price competition, it's also going to be an ethical uh, competition. Yes, absolutely. We have got to stop treating sustainability or ESG as a PR exercise, a, 
a box checking exercise. This is about our reason for being. You know, you, you talk about purpose and you stole the question right out of my mouth. You know that this podcast is called Prospecting Purpose. Like, this is something I spend a lot of time thinking about. What is this industry's role in tackling humanity's grand challenges, in crafting a more sustainable future? And so I want to ask you quite directly, what does purpose mean to you for the mining industry? Yeah, the purpose is literally to make a better humanity, a better world for all of us. We do provide the raw materials to do that. And as we provide those materials, and we, our society understands that we do have to have those materials, it, it simply feels, I think, it, it feels good. I mean, the thing about purpose is, is that you know that you have made a, a positive difference, that you are driven to do good. So that's what I, I, I would say to that question. I'd uh, like to ask you a question. Oh, right. uh, okay. <laughs> let's put it back the other way, right? You know, we're clearly from different generations, and how real is it for um, your generations? And I'm asking you once again to represent the entire millennial generation, uh, Liz. No big deal. How important, <laughs> no, how important is it and how deep is it that um, how companies operate from an ethical, environmental, or an ESG perspective? Uh, how, how critical is that to you? I don't know if you're asking the right person because that has always been my driver, more so than even my generational peers. But for me, like for me personally, it, it's everything because you know we hear a lot lately the world is on fire. The world has been on fire. This is not new. It's just that now it's at a point where we can't not pay attention. I don't know a time in, in my life where I haven't been keenly aware of the environmental and social crises happening all around the world. And maybe that's because I was lucky enough to be raised overseas and, and see a lot of things in my childhood that, that most folks wouldn't have. Uh, but, but it's everything for me. I would never want to work for a company for whom that wasn't a, a deeply embedded value. And I think that we are seeing that more and more with the next generation. I talk to, to people just 10 years younger than me, and it is, it is profound. And so if people think that it's just rhetoric when we talk about the, the talent crisis coming up, it, it's not. You're going to have a really hard time getting young people to work for you. You will not get the best talent of tomorrow uh, if you don't find a way to get really authentic in integrating environmental and social criteria in your business model. No, it's an incredibly good point. It's important uh, for successful, profitable businesses to attract the best talent and who, who would want to work for a, a company that's not operating to the highest ethical standards? And, and demonstratively so, right? I think that's the other point. Demonstratively so is, is really important, really important these days. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's why I say like authentically. And that, that totally aligns with the, the, the growing importance of transparency as you and I both keep hearing more and more about. It's going to get harder and harder to just rely on your pretty sustainability report. Like even ESG standards, one, one trend that we're starting to see in the ESG space is trickling down to asset level. Um, what the ratings and the rankings as well, just looking at publicly disclosed information isn't going to be enough. Uh, we should be expecting a, a whole other level of transparency uh, where we, want, we won't be able to hide the ugly stuff anymore. So we may as well get real, I guess, about it. Yeah, I, I think that's crucially important. You know, we've, you know, our industry has also undergone massive change in the past. 
if we look at the journey we've undertaken just in my career over the last 30 years on safety and health. Our industry now is safer than construction, trucking. Um, I've heard some, I've actually seen some reports where we're now uh, in Canada. Our uh, safety ratings and performance compares to the catering industry. Wow. For what is historically an extremely dangerous job. And, and it did start off in a similar, I see a similar pattern, uh, Liz, in that, you know, we, we embarked on this journey to address safety in our industry. Um, and, and by that, of course, I'm talking about, you know, many people were, uh, sadly, their lives were being lost. You know, we did start off with large safety departments and then safety and health departments. But ultimately, as this knowledge spreads to all the workers, all the people involved, you essentially have safety coaches, uh, depositories of knowledge, but everybody is operating safely and exercising a duty of care um, in all the work that they do. Yeah, I like that you bring the example of health and safety because I think that we can learn so much in our approach to sustainability from the journey we've been on with health and safety, our ability to create a health and safety culture, for example, throughout an entire organization, thousands of people. There's no reason we can't do the exact same thing with purpose. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And perhaps I'll just a little segue in there to a um, question you haven't asked me, but one of my favorite uh, personal stories um, about having impact, again, goes back to the Dominican Republic, where the camp where we were operating, where we were located a kilometer outside of a small town right on the Haitian border. And a lot of days' work were being lost to ill health, largely through food hygiene matters. So we brought in, uh, during the off-season, fabulous chef. But with him, uh, with Pedro, came a whole lot of... Um, safety and health and how to store food safely, how to prepare it safely, um, how to cook it safely, right? And we saw a dramatic decrease in, obviously, people uh, missing days' work um, with uh, upset stomachs, to be direct. So we saw, obviously, our benefits there and productivity. But what I particularly liked is when talking with the, uh, the chefs in the kitchen, that knowledge was going back into their households and going back into their community. They were very openly grateful and thankful for the training they had in safety and health. You know, the, the comments being, well, we just didn't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had a very similar uh, experience in one of my first exploration camps in West Africa as well, where when I first got there, I was sick all the time and so was everyone else. It wasn't because I was the foreigner. Uh, and over time, as we increased the food health and safety uh, standards on site, um, you know, obviously we weren't losing the, the worker days, uh, but also it went back into the village. Everyone who was learning that stuff in the workplace was bringing it back home. And so we started to see improvement in health indicators in the village as well. Yeah. And then, then over and above that, of course, you know, instead of just a very limited range of food on the table, so people learned how to bake. In the end, uh, the team was making the same food that was being served in the all-inclusive resorts on the coast. I think the point I was trying to make with this, Liz, though, is, you know, we, we tend to think of impact, impact investing, um, purpose as these large programs, but it can be things that occur on a daily basis. Right? So in our conversation, we've talked about just that, obviously, that uh, very personal story about the camp we had and your, your expression camp. But we've also talked about people putting in place and impacting hundreds of thousands of people positively with clean water. The fact that we can set up, uh, help set up businesses around our minds. So there's 
it, this whole concept operates at all scales, and I don't think we should be afraid of that. I think uh, something we should be embracing. Well, that's all for today's episode. This is Liz Friel on Prospecting Purpose. Thanks for joining us, and thank you so much, Andrew, for being my co-host today. Absolute pleasure to join you. Thank you so much. If you're looking to connect with Andrew or learn more about his work, you can reach him via the links in the show notes. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. This episode is powered by Simpact, an ESG think tank and sustainability advisory firm on a mission to shape a more sustainable, socially just, and brighter future for all. Visit us at sympact.ca to learn more. What's your purpose?